Hi, this is Robert, one half of the 12 Pound Podcast. Our show discusses life's changes and how we hope to help you face them through shared stories and experiences. Uh, Before we get started, I want to say hello to my co-host and mother. Hi, Mom. Hi, Robert. Hello, Bobby. Hello, Robert. How are you doing? I'm good. You're in Cape May, surviving the rain? Yeah, it's raining right now. Just started again. Ophelia, isn't it? Ophelia. Ophelia, yeah. Aftermath. Yeah, it's a beautiful name. Difficult storm, but beautiful name. Did you see the um, picture that I think Patty sent of the Wildwood Crest Beach? Yep. And for our audiences, just because they're not as intimate with our family, Patty is uh, is mom's sister-in-law, my aunt. Yes, I did see that. The ocean was coming up to uh, the dunes, which unbelievable. is unbelievable. I, if unbelievable anybody's done. ever been to the Crest or the Wildwood Beaches, they are huge. They're huge. Yeah. It was it, it's huge. a schlep to the once you even get to the beach to get to the water, and that it was gone. It's it, it, not for good, but it was amazing. Really, kind of neat. Yeah, it was crazy. Well, I'm glad it's starting to dissipate a little bit. Um, well, we've got an exciting show today, Mom. But before we get started, it's horoscope time. You ready for your horoscope? Oh yeah, always. 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 All right. Well, be careful not to do, overdo it today. <laughs> Keeping things on an even keel will do wonders for your energy and your social life. If you're going to a party, don't overdo it. And by party, I think they mean Wawa, mom. Just being yourself will make people- What party would that be? Yeah, what party would that be? (laughs) Party of one, Bobby, party party of one. (laughs) Well, just being yourself will make people feel more comfortable. So just do what you do and the chips will fall where they may. That's not bad, mom. No, that's not bad, but I don't know. I have to find where the party is. You'll find it. Yeah, I will. I have all faith. Well, you want to hear mine real quick? No. No, yeah, All right. No, yeah. Disregard <laughs> things that are overly trendy and opt for quality things and thoughts. Swim upstream today and find your own niche in life. It's much more rewarding. Well, I think it's safe to say that doing a podcast with your mom at 45 years old is safely in the camp of disregarding trendy. I was going to say, is it safe? I don't even know if it's I th- safe. I think it's safe. I'm it's pretty safe. sure. I'm pretty sure nobody's <laughs> going to put me in the trendy camp. Well, mom, last week we were discussing uh, the power of resilience and a positive attitude when when facing difficult situations like injury or illness. And I shared a a chance encounter that I had with a wonderful person in Boulder, Colorado uh, this summer who was dealing with a a very difficult diagnosis of a a rare and, and unfortunately terminal autoimmune disease. Uh, the conversation I had that day with her uh, stayed with me. It really left a, a powerful mark on how I thought about strength and resilience in the face of, of difficult circumstances. And frankly speaking, I haven't been able to stop thinking about her since. Uh, we we reached out to each other. I reached out to her uh, you know, via social media, which is the way you do it these days. There are no more yellow pages. So I, I was able to find her. She'd given me her name because uh, we had a wonderful exchange when we were there. And I am truly honored to introduce our audience today to that person, Becky Springer. Becky, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's so exciting. Oh, it's so exciting to have you here. We were talking about you last week uh, because, as I said before, I, I couldn't stop thinking about how amazing you were, how resilient you were in the face of something that was you know, very difficult. Um, I, I had shared with the audience at our story of meeting that I was there with a, a family friend who had broken her leg. And uh, I happened to go out onto the, the the veranda, which overlooked, you know, the front range of the 
of the of the Rocky Mountains, and and you were there, and I was there with my daughter, and of course she was being herself and being as bossy as ever, which you uh, you, you were very patient with, which I appreciated. But I, I did you know get a chance to initially share your story uh, with our audience last week, but you know maybe before we start, if if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, you know where you are currently, and uh, yeah, and 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 who you're with. Well, uh, I'm forty. Eight years old. I have one 15 year old daughter. She just turned 15. Um, and, and as far as 15 year olds go, she's a joy to be around. <laughs> she's incredibly talented. You'll definitely see her in the movies one day. Um, and my husband, who is my second husband and the love of my life, and we're so lucky to have found one another. I spent about 20 years in the optometric, ophthalmic industry. Um, which was helpful <laughs> because when I first got sick, my initial symptoms were in my eyes. Uh, the only symptoms I had. So I knew something was wrong because I knew that's not supposed to happen. And that led me to see a series of doctors to finally get this diagnosis. Well, I, you, um, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, and you've just mentioned the, in the diagnosis, diagnosis itself. So on, on July 25th, uh, earlier this year, you shared with your family and friends uh, that you you were dying of a an exceedingly rare autoimmune disease uh, called neuro, neuromyelitis optica. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about it? You know, I, it's so interesting to hear that you had this background in, in opt ophthalmology that allowed you to kind of sense that something was really not right. But could you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what it was like getting that diagnosis and, and a little bit about the disease? Well, the disease itself is uh, it's very similar to MS. In fact, it's commonly referred to as MS's asshole cousin. <laughs> Nobody wants it over. Right. <laughs> it's very, very similar. You still have brain lesions and spinal cord lesions. They're just in a different place on the spinal cord and faster acting and attack the optic nerves, which is what happened in my case. Um, I'm a I'm aware of a variety of reasons why there can be sudden vision loss or holes in your vision or black spots, but pain associated with it is in incredibly rare, uncommon. Most people, when they say they have eye pain, they're referring specifically to their lids, but in my case, the pain was actually in the orb of the eyeball itself, and I know that's not normal. So um, I saw an optometrist who said, you're fine. Then my vision got worse and the pain increased. So I saw another ophthalmologist who said, you're fine. Uh, and because you're fine, you need to go to the ER. Hmm. <laughs> and so I went to the ER where I had a variety of unending tests and scans and and unbelievable <laughs> amount of blood draws. And uh, ultimately, it just came down to this is your disease. It's terminal. And, you know, as far as my reaction to it initially, I, I don't think it was necessarily a common reaction. You see it on TV and the movies all the time, how people react to being told they're going to die. For me, it was uh, kind of expected. And so I had been sort of preparing myself for bad news. And I'm totally okay with it. I think I'm 
pleased and happy with the life I've led. And the most important thing is that I'm grateful. I live my life as a grateful person. I'm grateful for everything, even the, the shitty things. I, I know that there's going to be something good that comes out of it. So when I heard that I was going to die, I was grateful that I am able to know in advance of it happening so that I can take care of everything I need to take care of. Hmm. Did that attitude of gratitude, I guess we could call it, always come naturally to you? Is it something that you no. always had? No, I've always been positive, but I believe there's a difference between being positive and being grateful. Because when you're positive, you can still be pissed off at the world, but, but look forward to what's coming next. In my case, I, I went through quite a bit of depression in my life, depression and anxiety, and I found the key to getting past depression is indeed gratitude. I've been medicated for my depression for years, um, and only now, oddly enough, am I no longer depressed. <laughs> It took a rare autoimmune disease to to to, to eliminate the depression. Right. Uh, that's well. It's interesting. So as you um as you thought about that diagnosis, that conversation, and, and to this point today, what's what's the day to day been like? How did you how did you progress to that? You know that feeling of of not being depressed, but also having to think about you know how how your family is going to react to it or or you know how you are, are are going to you know think about what the what the rest of your days look like that is by far the most difficult part is specifically my husband he's taken over my role as a as a mom he's dad he's mom he runs his own business and he takes care of me he takes care of all of the doctor's appointments um, he takes care of all the insurance, phone calls, all, everything. He just does it all because he knows I can't deal with him. <laughs> he's, he's, a, he's a superman. It's pretty incredible, actually. I'm going to get teary. But um, once I realized or named out loud that what I was feeling was guilt in putting this on my daughter and my husband and, frankly, everybody else I know, once I named it as guilt, I was able to get past it. It's, I felt guilty for leaving them, for burdening them. Feeling that guilt, were, were you, um, how did, did you move past it on your own or did, did you, did you have someone to talk with, you know, in order to kind of help you through it? I got past it on my own. Um, once I realized that it was indeed guilt that I was feeling because, you know, sometimes feelings are hard to name. Yeah. Um, once I realized it was guilt and I said it out loud, I, I, I admitted to myself that there's, I'm not doing this on purpose. There's nothing that I could do to make it easier for them. So I'm just gonna try to stop feeling guilty and enjoy the time that we have left together. Which is, you know, it could be three years and it could be nine years. We don't know exactly. But, I mean, I, I've always been quite intuitive. So I have predicted <laughs> the date of my death. I put it in my calendar so nobody can see it. 
And and we'll see if we'll see how accurate I am. I I predicted the disease actually. You you shared that with me in advance of the call. I, it's um it's something you know mom and I were talking about. And it's not the first time we've we've heard that where, um you know there's there's a feeling a dream. Uh, it's it's not quite manifesting it because I think sometimes it just is a feeling you 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 have that's kind of inside you and it's difficult to explain and it's certainly difficult to explain to others. So I, what, how did it how did that come into your head and and who did you share it with? Well, it came into my head while I was on psychedelic mushrooms actually. <laughs> um, I is I find I don't know how much of this you want to share but I find that mushrooms have are the reason for my gratitude. They're the reason for my lack of depression. They're the reason for, I microdose as well as macrodose on occasion. Um, and while I was doing mushrooms with my husband, it just came to me. And I said to him, I'm going to be diagnosed with a degenerative neurological disease and I'm going to die within five years. And he said, no, you're not. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. So a couple of days later, I told my best friend, Carrie, I told her the same thing. And she also is very intuitive. She and I have shared a lot of deep sort of psychic connection over our years. We've known each other since we were five. So when I told her, she was like, totally believed me. Ugh. She was like, okay, let's get started in making sure that the next five years are going to be great. Mm. Oh, that's wonderful. You have her. One of my most exciting prospects i believe for the next few years is that i've chosen to have a living funeral because i know i'm dying so i want to be there who doesn't want to be at their own funeral oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh my friend carrie and i started making a playlist of music that i want to have i'm calling it the funeral two ends <laughs> not just one my it. fun room. I'm going to invite everybody, have karaoke, get people to tell stories about how our lives have impacted one another. I think it'll be really fun. And I feel, again, extremely grateful that I that I have the opportunity to do that. That's amazing. Well, I um, I think that's a beautiful way to approach it. Yeah, I think that's great. Thank you. And I like the idea of the funeral. Can you send me the playlist? Sure. <laughs> I can yeah, we'll have to yeah. add to it as well. Maybe we'll, my mom and I will will give you at least one song from from us. We'll, okay, uh, great. Yeah, it'll well, be something. Well, you both invited to the funeral, of course. Oh, thank you. That we play when we think of you. So. Oh, good. I have a question going just back before we get too far away from you. We're talking about you were talking about guilt. Yeah. I, I was wondering, and you know, super understandable how that would be a feeling. That would to you like what the burden that you know the burden that i'm putting upon my family or what they're going to have to go through whether i'm you know really sick during the sick you know part and during the whole part mm -hmm. what does your family does your husband i see that see that as a burden you know what i mean is that strictly your was that strictly your take on it well interesting that's a really good question he clearly is burdened because he has so much more stuff to do, period. But almost every day he thanks me for letting him take care of me. He says he feels, see, I'm going to crack it when I talk about him. I think mentioned because it's so great. That's wonderful that you love him that much. <laughs> totally. I agree. Mm -hmm. He feels fortunate to be able to be the one to care for me. And it's the way 
you know, it's the way that he can show how much he loves me by taking things. It's been rough too, I must say. Um, since my return from the hospital, I, uh, I'm, I, I have a lot of physical difficulties that I didn't have before. I have all kinds of symptoms that I didn't have before I went into the hospital, which are manifesting, unfortunately, daily. And there's no medication or anything specific to abate these symptoms. So he helps me out a lot. Even just walk into the bathroom, he'll hold my hand so I don't fall down. He's great. It's wonderful that you have each other. Thank you. I can attest to it. I, I had the opportunity to meet him as well, and he is, was amazing. So I'm I'm so happy you have each other. He, he he looks like a like a big oaf, like a lumberjack, but he's a, <laughs> he's extremely sensitive and yes. and wise and brilliant. <laughs> you wouldn't guess it by looking at him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I'm curious how has the how has the healthcare system been? I, you know, I, we're in Philadelphia. I'm in Philadelphia right now, so we um, we have a lot of research hospitals. There are a lot of people in the city that are studying rare autoimmune diseases, and mm. you know, the, the healthcare system, not so much the research side, but the treatment side can can really be hit or miss because there's so little that they know about, you know, diseases like, like what you're facing. So how has it been for you as you've, as you've had to really get to know, you know, the healthcare system, at least in Colorado? Well, um, this disease, neuromyelitis optica, is so rare that it only affects four people in one million. So the research that's been done about it has only been done within very recent years. It's commonly, or at least thought to be commonly misdiagnosed as MS. And several people who've had MS or have, who've had the diagnosis of MS then get re-diagnosed with NMO several years later, now that we know more about it. Fortunately, the treatment is basically the exact same. So they were receiving the proper treatment, generally speaking. Um, as far as the healthcare system is concerned, I'll tell you, <laughs> When I, I had two stints in the hospital. First was five days where I had an ungodly amount of IV corticosteroids, um, 5,000 milligrams in five days, <laughs> uh, and then was sent home. When I was told to contact a neurologist at, basically I was given names of neurologists, neuroimmunologists, neuroophthalmologists, tons of subspecialties, all of whom I'm seeing now. Um, I was, how do I say, we are in a, on a healthcare plan, an insurance plan, which is, uh, discounted through the state for, well, to put it bluntly for poor people. So, um, we have very few options of doctors who take our insurance. Mm -hmm. Now, Having said that, we didn't care. We were just like, we want to get in to see a neurologist. We wanted an official diagnosis. We want to know what's going on, and I want to start treatment. Vincent, my husband, called, I think it was something like 30 different neurologists in the Denver, Boulder metro area. And uh, the only one we could get in to see, who did not, by the way, take our insurance, said that they couldn't see me until January. Mm after I had just gotten out of the hospital. 
which was obviously incredibly disappointing because at that point I had 90% vision loss in my left eye and only about 10 to 15% vision loss in my right eye. Now my husband also has an immune autoimmune disease, rheumatoid arthritis. Mm. He also he owns his own business. He's an electrical contractor, a master electrician. So it just so happened that his rheumatologist telephoned him for an electrical question and asked him to, you know, put in a ceiling fan at his house and asked him how things were going. And my husband told his doctor about what was going on with me. And the doctor said, well, that's not acceptable. She can't wait till January to see a doctor. She could die by then. She could go permanently blind by then. And Vincent was like, I know, but I don't know what else to do. The doctor said, let me make a phone call. And I got in to see a neuroimmunologist that afternoon. Mm. Wow. It was the universe. It sure was. Just providing. And and that's what I believe gratitude does. When you're grateful, things the universe provides. So then I saw this neuroimmunologist that afternoon who's super rad. He's like the best doctor ever. And uh, it just so happened he moved here just like a, a week before he saw me. And um, he took like one look at me and he goes, why were you discharged from the hospital? You shouldn't be here. Get back to the hospital immediately. So I had to go back mm. to the hospital where he ordered a, a billion more tests. And then we did get the official diagnosis. Okay. And I underwent treatment, plasma phoresis treatment, also known as plasma exchange, where they um, basically they remove all the blood from your body, separate the plasma, which holds the antibodies to the disease, replace the plasma with a synthetic compound of some kind, and do that several times until they believe the antibodies are at least 70% out of your body. And having done that, I regained quite a bit of vision in all, 100% in my right eye. And I probably gained, regained about maybe 60 to 70% wow. in my left eye. So I still have vision loss. But it's better than nothing. Yeah, it is. Uh, well, um, I'm, I'm happy that you were able to do that. And you met that doctor and Vincent was able to to pull the pieces know, together uh, to make it happen. Well, it's unbelievable. It really is. It's, it's, I mean, it's, uh, it is hard. Uh, admittedly, it's, it's hard to hear sometimes about how, um, how kind of fundamentally broken the healthcare system seems, uh, at least initially, uh, I'm happy that it did ultimately work out for you, but I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through all that in order to get there, but I'm, I'm glad you did get there. Interesting. It seems as though it gets, when it gets better, it, it gets personal, you know, it became personal. He's talking to somebody and all of a sudden, you know, there's that interest. And when there's that interest, then all things move, you know, Absolutely. moves along. Um, you know, sometimes you're just, I don't know. Sometimes it just feels like you're, you know, next the next patient, you know, you've got 15 minutes Absolutely. of my time and next you get, you know, it feels like a business rather than a personal experience. 100%. Mm -hmm. 100%. Which is one of the reasons I'm so fortunate that my husband is so personable. He's also a stand-up comedian, by the way. You can catch his stuff on YouTube. But um, because he's so personable and boisterous and and talkative, he makes friends everywhere he goes. And thank goodness he does, because he's friends with his rheumatologist now, <laughs> who got me into the It's perfect, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I, I believe the healthcare system is, uh, I dare say, even more um, tenuous 
when you're poor. If you don't have, if you don't have the status or the money to be able to pay for the doctors you need, then I mean, literally, I could, I could have died. <laughs> I could have literally died because I couldn't go in to see a doctor and I wasn't able to afford it. So I, it's just that the American healthcare system is broken, and and hopefully someday we'll have somebody in there who believes in Medicare for all and democratic socialism. <laughs> well, and until then, I'm glad you found what you needed, at least for now. And um, I, I, again, it's one of the reasons why I'm so grateful that you came on, because I do think it's so important to, to hear that journey. It's it, especially the, the more difficult aspects through the healthcare system, but then ultimately what you were able to find, which was just, a, you know, kindness through, you know, the generosity of, uh, of a person who was closer to it. You know, it's, it's really wonderful. So, so have you found any, I, I know it's such a small group of people who, who are, you know, have, have this autoimmune disease. Have you met anyone else who, who has it? Is there any type of community or circle that you can tap into? I have not met anyone else who has it, who has it. However, I have been told that there's one other woman in Boulder County who does have it. So I think I'll probably be connected with her at some point. I also, um, was contacted by a stranger uh, who did a Google search of um, NMO Colorado, I suppose. And my name came up because I have a GoFundMe to try to pay for all these doctor's bills that we, you know, that don't take our insurance going back to that. Um, so she found me, messaged me, and told me that there is a patient appreciation uh, I'm sorry, part of part of the disease is brain fog, and I, my vocabulary is my life, but I find myself searching for words all the time. Um, a conference. She, uh, she told me there's a conference at next, this coming weekend, actually, in Denver. Really? Can you imagine that? Where patients with NMO from all over the Western United States will be to uh, hear doctors speak, to find out what the newest revelations are regarding treatments, to get help financially, to uh, speak to therapists. It's all about the patients. And she said, if you're interested, go to this thing. And so my husband and I are going. They're putting us up in a hotel for the weekend and we're gonna get to meet, they said probably about 70 other patients. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Such a coincidence, and, and again, the universe provides. If you had to put yourself there, just because I know you uh, thinking about the future, putting something in the calendar, what do you think you would be sharing with people who are, you know, who are going through something similar to you, just in terms of, um, you know, maybe someone who's been newly diagnosed with this with a similar condition, with this similar condition, um, what advice would you give to someone? Somebody told me this the other day, and it stuck with me. I wrote it down. I have a, a running list of quotes and inspirational things in my phone that I just review on a regular basis. And this one was, um, I looked to see who said it, and I could not find it anywhere on the internet. So I think it's a paraphrase from a Greek philosopher, which was uh, the, the knowledge of death is a friend. The fear of death is the enemy. Knowing that you're going to die is a gift because you know now what matters. You're able to weed out the shit. You know what I mean? Trim the fat and just deal with what matters 
and it is a gift. Being afraid to die is the scary part. That's the that's the part you don't. I, I have no fear of death. I don't know why. Um, but I don't. I'm not afraid to die at all. If I if I were to kick over right now, I'd be okay with it because I've said the things I needed to say. You know what I mean? And as soon as I found out I was going to die, I started making lists of you know my bucket list and movies I have to watch again before <laughs> it's too late and you know stuff like that. And I I physically not been doing so well but emotionally I've been great and been able to experience and talk to people I haven't spoken to in a long time so I would suggest the same thing to anyone who was in a similar position to just not be afraid to be grateful and um no good thing ever dies Stephen King said that no good thing ever dies Stephen King huh <laughs> yes my favorite author. <laughs> yeah, Robert, you're a Stephen King fan too, aren't you? I am. Yeah. It's interesting that you're saying, you know, it's, I hope people are uh, tuning into this because I just think it's something that even people that aren't diagnosed with a terminal disease, there are so many people out there that are so fearful that are perfectly healthy of death. They fear death all the time. I never knew that people young, you know, even young are afraid, think about it all the time. And it's so it's really an interesting thing on, that's my dog. It's really an interesting thing on, um, you know, for for people, term, people that have a terminal disease, de trying to deal with that themselves and not to listen to your feelings, you know, and your gratitude and to possibly say, you know what, maybe that's what I should be doing. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should be thinking about all the things that I'm grateful for, you know, and, and, uh, you know, you, like you were saying, it could be like looking at the positive, but it is a little different than just, you said that in the very beginning, segue back. It is a little different than just being positive. It is. You know, it's, um, and I hope people are listening to that. I'm, I'm just, I'm grateful to be able to share this time with you. Oh, thank you. As am I. And, you know, being positive is obviously the first step to gratitude. You have to be positive in order to be grateful. But but it is it is indeed different. Prior to my diagnosis, I've, I've had a lifetime of weird health issues, honestly. I could, I could talk for a whole other hour about that. However, um, uh, over the last few six years actually, my anxiety had gotten really bad and I was trying to figure out why that was and, and remain positive and all of that stuff. Uh, oddly enough, as soon as I found out I was dying, my anxiety, it's gone. Like there's nothing else to worry about because I know what's going to happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? The anxiety is the fear of unknown and the feeling of falling, always falling and never know if you're going to land safely. Well, I know I'm going to land safely, so it's okay. Yeah, I could totally understand that. I, you know, I do. And you have somebody that's, you know, suffered from anxiety a lot myself. I often think of that. I, I've thought of that. I've actually thought like, stop worrying about think you know what's going to happen tomorrow yeah you have no you have no control over over that although you do sound like you kind of have a little control with your uh ability psychic ability of what's going to happen tomorrow 
<laughs> oh my god, it's like a ability so much. Like, I don't know, it just sounds I don't want to intuition or gut feelings or but it's true. I've had it since I was a kid. I've been mm-hmm. able to predict quite a few things actually. And and for whatever reason the universe speaks to me and I guess I'm just able able to listen. So you're just tuned in. Yeah, tuned in. Yeah, it could be that some people are just tuned in, you know, and they believe that you know what I mean? They're open to it. Right. And that's the most important thing to be open to it. As soon as I had that for lack of a better word, premonition, even though that word is, it has like weird connotation for me. But after I had the premonition of my own death, I basically, I mean, I never questioned it. I never questioned it. I just knew from that point forth that I was going to die within five years. And then it was about, I would say six months after that premonition that I was, I had the diagnosis that I went into the hospital. I mean, how much more specific can you get than a neurological degenerative condition? (laughs) Well, Becky, we are so grateful that you spent time with us today. I, as I said before, when I first met you, I, um, I don't know, I felt like something was in the air and I was happy it was that we had a chance to connect in, in Colorado. And, uh, and it was, like I said um, uh, to you, and I, I said to mom, it wasn't planned last week. Uh, she started kind of talking about this kind of like spirit of- Did you tell Becky how that came about? It was, talk about, you know, which it's not really- Yeah, it was just a, I don't yeah, I, I wasn't, but- yeah, we talked about it a little bit. I, I had kept it to myself. I, I just, you know, was, I think it was something I wanted for myself, truthfully. I felt like it was so special. Um, I, 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 I hadn't talked about it too much, you know, with, with my mom and, um, she was talking about, you know, injury and coming off of an injury. And we were discussing kind of resilience and, and, you know, what people face, you know, not just a pulled hamstring, but what can people can really, you know, face in their lives, particularly when it, um, you know, it means that, you know, that it's terminal. And, uh, and mom said that she really wanted to talk to somebody who's going through this, you know, somebody who, uh, is facing death and and to ask them a question. And here you are. I say, hey, guess what? I know somebody. <laughs> here you are, Becky. I gotta tell you, I mean, I, I don't know how pertinent it is to this discussion, but when I was sitting, when I was in the hospital, I wasn't allowed off the ward. I had, it doesn't matter. I had this thing coming out of my neck. That's a whole story. But um, so the only place for me to go was on that little barren patio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And uh, so we'd spend most of my time out there. The universe did put us together. I think we were meant to meet at some point. And and I'm so, I feel incredibly fortunate that I can call you a friend now at this point. Oh, thank you. I feel the same way. And I know my mom does now too. And so does the dog. Otherwise the dog wouldn't be barking that much. I've never heard the dog bark that much. So she must be excited. It doesn't bother me. I'm a dog person. I can have dogs barking and I can totally just, tune it out. <laughs> I've learned to live with it and I love it. And I've loved everything about this conversation and I'm so grateful. And my mom, I know equally is so grateful. Um, yeah, I, you know, I say this at the end of every episode, but if you want to hear this episode or past episodes, you, you can tune into our website at 12 poundpodcastcom Um, Becky, you had mentioned yourself that you do have a GoFundMe page, uh, that's, that's been established and we're going to share that link, uh, with our audience on, on our website as, as well as on YouTube. Absolutely. 
absolutely. Um, and you know, I we we don't do this often, but I, I think calls to action are important. And I think, uh, particularly as it relates to to just making the best out of what we have, we hope we can we can make uh, the best for you for what you have, uh, which is a beautiful family and a beautiful spirit. So. Thank you for sharing it with us today. We are we are uh, immensely grateful. Thank you. It was just such a lovely conversation. I mean, I'm happy to do it again if you want to touch on further topics. And I just appreciate your time. I appreciate that that I could be helpful, hopefully, to somebody else out there. I know you will. And as mom said, I, I think she, very appropriately, um, you know, people may not be facing exactly what you're facing, um, but there, there are a lot of people who are afraid and a lot of people who are going through these changes that they just, you know, they don't know how to face, whether it's with positivity or gratitude. But um, to hear from someone like you is truly inspirational. So thank you so much for sharing today. Thank you. I really do appreciate it so much. Thanks, Becky. Thanks, Bobby. And mom, thanks as always. Love you. Love you too, Robert. 